The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Professor Charles Telfer. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. I invite you to turn with me in Scripture to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, beginning to read in verse 25 as we continue our faculty series in the gospel, in the gospels. I hope you remember Dr., uh, you may be seated, that's fine. This is a lengthy reading. Dr. Johnson uh, opened this text to us a couple of months ago. What I have to say today is something of a footnote, something of a uh, pastoral application uh, in addition to that address. Jesus' teaching here is so rich, we can have a whole a whole semester's worth of devotional messages on this text. Let's begin reading in, in uh, God's Word then from John 6, beginning in verse 25, and I'll read through 59. <clears throat> Speaking of Jesus, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned of the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I 
and the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate, and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Would you join your hearts with me in prayer? Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, we ask that you would take these familiar words, familiar to many of us, and that we might know them afresh by experience. Lord Jesus, you are our life. We live because of you and in you. Your work, your body and blood makes us alive. Lord God, refresh us, we pray. We believe, help us in our unbelief. Encourage us, challenge us, work in us by your word, we pray. In all of our weariness, weakness, distraction, and and folly, we ask in your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, well loved by our Lord Jesus. The context from this, of this passage, of course, is Jesus acting as the greater Moses. As the first Moses provided bread for the people in the wilderness, so our Lord Jesus provides uh, bread for the people here in the wilderness of Galilee. And then even as the first Moses uh, shows his, uh, God's power in the splitting of the, the waters of the, the Red Sea. Our Lord Jesus shows his power over the sea, the water of the Sea of Galilee, as he calmly walks to his disciples in the middle of the storm. There's no one that can, there's nothing that can separate our Lord Jesus from those that he loves. As our passage opens in 25, Jesus deflects the little question about how he got there, and he focuses on the real need of his hearers then and of us today. I think that if you'd never read the Bible before and you came across this reading, I think you'd find it rather bizarre because Jesus is presenting himself as what? As food, as nourishment. This is, a, this is an unusual way uh, of speaking. And of course, this, there's an immense amount of uh, richness in this text. Uh, and I'd like to just underline uh, a few, a couple of main points, and I'd like to get at them by asking just a couple of simple questions. And the first one is a searching question that I'd like you to ask of yourself, and that is, what kind of bread are you seeking? What kind of bread are you seeking? Our first question. These people are seeking something, and Jesus draws his attention to this in, in 26. You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man 
will give to you, right? Is the Lord Jesus saying that you shouldn't labor? Is the Lord Jesus saying that you shouldn't work hard? That you shouldn't study hard? I know we're, we're a small band of brothers here today and sisters. We, we have a lot, we've lost a lot to the, I think, Dr. Clark's uh, exam uh, today. I, there was one student who had three exams today, including one in my Hebrew class just now. A poor fellow. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, it's not a question of not, it's not a question of whether we should be kind of uh, lay on the beach all day. That, that's not the point. But it's a question of where, where, what are you seeking? Where, where's your search mode directed? I think it's worth noting that Jesus, does, Jesus assumes that human beings are in search mode. And this is a, a profound and a, a major issue. So uh, what is the religion that says that desire is the, that human desire is the root of all evil? That's the problem with the world, that people desire things. Is that the Lord Jesus? That's not Christianity. That's Buddhism, right? That desire is at the heart of our trouble. That, from a scriptural point of view, that a certain hungering, a certain sense of incompleteness is part of being human, period, from the beginning. We were never, we weren't, we had desire for things. We needed nourishment. For a certain period of our lives, most of us have, there are certain sexual drives that we have. There are, uh, we all have a desire for recognition by other people. We have a desire to be loved, to be accepted. These are, uh, these are longings, and, and we're all to a certain extent in human, uh, in search mode. I think the, uh, that great American theologian Bruce Springsteen hits it uh, on the head when he says, everybody's got a hungry heart, right? Everybody's got a hungry heart. Maybe you're too young to know what that means. But uh, anyway, well, we're all searching. We're all searching uh, for, for something. Jesus is, is not saying, don't be hungry. Jesus is saying, be careful where you're looking. Where are you looking? Are you looking to something that can't give what you think it will give, right? I think all of us as uh, kids, when we, we get Christmas presents and, <gasps> and how long would it last, right? So what is it? Be careful. What are you looking for? When you get that church position that you're looking for, how long is that, will that make you happy? If you get that, if you, if, if you, if you get married, I just want to be married, right? Will that, give, will that give you that permanent happiness that you think it might be? That may be the beginning of your, your, your deeper, even deeper troubles in this life, right? Oh, if we could just get that condo, we'd really, we could really be at peace and we'd really have happiness. Jesus says that all these things, they're, they're the bread that perishes. There's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with eating in a nice restaurant. There's nothing wrong with marriage and sexuality. These are all fine things. But even the best things... You know, even when you got all the kids around you at the, at the Easter dinner table, right? These, this, is, this has a shelf life. It has a shelf life. It's the food that perishes. We can't put, uh, we can't expect of it more than it can, uh, than it can give, right? Where, what, are we, what are we looking for? It's good for us from time to time to say, where am I going? What am I chasing? Right? This is important. And where is Jesus in my, in my search? Of course, Jesus is, is directing our attention to himself here. Right? 
36 shows us a tragic side of the story, right? That even that with Jesus, seeing is not believing, as he says there in 36. I think it's a temptation for us. I know it is for me. Oh, if I, could, if I was just there, if I could just see Jesus, right? Then I would be a strong, committed believer, right? But seeing is not believing. And why is that, as we see here? You look at 41, 40 and following, right? The problem is that, that we have this, this tendency against, a bias against Jesus. We're, we won't, even if we see him, we're disinclined to come to him. We have, a, we have a natural resistance to him, right? Unless God does this, this remarkable work in us. One of the topics, uh, controversial topics, but it's just under the surface in this entire chapter, is election and reprobation. This is very close to the surface. If you look at 36, 37, 39, 45, later on in 64, 65, right? These, this, is, this is the assumption here. And just very briefly, we should never be discouraged or we should never be surprised that people don't respond when we share the gospel with them. This is, it's tragic. It's lamentable and should be, should be, we should weep over them. But it's not, to, we shouldn't be surprised at it because that's ourself. We are not responsive by nature. Unbelief is our natural state, right? We need a work in us to cause us to appreciate uh, uh, the, the gospel message. Christianity is not, the problem is not that Christianity is the opium of the people. The problem is with us. In Northeast Africa, in the little country of Eritrea, there are many, many tens of thousands of malnourished people. And it's right alongside the Red Sea, and there are plenty of fish in the Red Sea to feed everyone in the country. But what's the problem? The problem is that it's not part of the traditional diet for the highland peoples. So what they need is a new taste. What I need is a new taste, a taste for Jesus, right? I have to be regenerated. I have to be drawn. You have to be drawn. Others have to be drawn. Otherwise, uh, we can't appreciate, uh, we can't appreciate uh, Jesus. So do you, do you hunger? Do you see you're hungry? Do you, do you want Jesus? Do you see that you're not self-sufficient? Just like if you go for a week without eating anything or without drinking anything, that's it for you. Can you see that you can, you're not self-sufficient in, in and of yourself, that you need life from outside yourself and it has to be from Christ? If you can see that, what does that say? That says that God has been at work in you, drawing you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? That's a testimony to you that He has drawn you, that He has His hand on you, that He has begun a work and He will continue it even to the very end. What a glorious thing. So let me ask again. What bread are you seeking? What are you going after? And where is Jesus in that search? So let's ask a second uh, question then. What kind of bread is Jesus? Well then, what kind of bread is Jesus? He says in 35, this, this is the first of those famous uh, I am statements that we've been considering with Dr. Johnson uh, all semester. And, uh, and boy, I'm feeling kind of emotional thinking that this is... That uh, kind of a, a farewell series of addresses. This is this is very touching and very appropriate, I must say, as I listen to this address again this week uh, to consider these wonderful uh, ego and me uh, statements. 
Verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not uh, hunger. This is, this is an extraordinary statement. Jesus is saying that I am the ultimate solution to human need. This is, this is, this is a mind-boggling statement. Siddhartha Gautama, better known as the Buddha, he never made any statement about himself that comes anywhere close to this. To his credit. To his credit. He was a moral teacher. He didn't make these kind of statements about himself. And I think that C.S. Lewis has it on the head. We don't have the option of saying that Jesus of Nazareth was just one more of the good moral teachers. We're confronted with, is he correct or incorrect in these claims? These claims are just too big. And if he's, if he's mistaken in the claim, then he's, 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 he's psychotic. And if, he's, if he knows that he's mistaken, then he's a great deceiver. Right? But if he's not a liar, and he's not a lunatic, then he's Lord. I think that's, in, that's very tight logic. Right? We can't escape having to make those kind of decisions. Jesus is so bold here about himself that he puts down Moses. Did you see how he does that? He's saying, Moses can't give you what you really need. Now this is, that makes us as people who love the Old Testament uncomfortable. It certainly made Old Testament uh, people in the first century uncomfortable, right? He, he, he says, I'm what you need, not Moses. He, he rubs the noses of the people in, in how fallible this ministry of Moses was. Your father ate, ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. You need me for your life, not Moses. This is similar to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 9. He calls Moses' work a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation. What? This is kind of shocking, right? We don't have uh, any time, but just briefly to state that this is one of those passages where I'm sure you've heard of uh, some of the controversy over the idea that the Mosaic Covenant, this Mosaic arrangement, is in some sense a recapitulation of the covenant of works. Right? That sounds like a very abstract doctrine, but it's so practical. It help us, helps us to draw out what Jesus is doing here. Why can't Moses help you? Do you remember in the, in the Pilgrim's Progress, and I, I know you've got so much reading to do, but do mark it down. If you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, please. It's the most published book in English outside of the Bible. What does Moses do to Pilgrim when he comes on him in the road? He beats him to within an inch of his life. It's, Moses is no friend of yours. Why? Because the law of Moses is no friend of yours. In and of its, in, uh, you as a sinner, it beats you. It shows you your failures. Right? That's what the law cannot save you. No matter how diligent you are to do what is right and to avoid what is wrong, you cannot put yourself right with God through Moses. It's not possible. Now, of course, the, the Pentateuch points beyond to Christ. But in terms of the law system, you cannot, Moses will not save you. 15.8, he said, this is the bread that came from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate. Moses gave them and died. And remember, what are you looking for? And can it give you life? What can give you life? What, what kind of worldview do you have 
What kind of, what are you seeking that will actually help you to face that, that black challenge just around the corner of death? That's the question. That's the question. It's, we want life. And we human beings, all of, in, in all of our myths and fantasies and fiction, we, 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 we're looking for something that gives life. Gives life. I've been reading the, the Harry Potter uh, series. And what is, it, what, what is he looking for? He's looking for a hollows at the end, right? Right? And what it, he's, he's looking for a resurrection stone, something that gives life. And does it give life? It doesn't give life. It gives an illusion of life. But we're looking for life. Ponce de Leon came to North America, right? Why, what was he looking for? Life. A fountain that would give life. We're always looking for life. And Jesus draws our attention to him, to himself. And Jesus says of himself what the Old Testament says only God can do. You know, in our, in our singing and prayers, we talk about, we talk about God as the Hosin Meitin, or we talk about him as the Machaye uh, Hemeitin in some of our singing, right? The one who gives life to the dead. Jesus is saying that, you remember that vision of the dead bones in Ezekiel? I am the one that speaks and causes those dead to rise. If you're connected to me, I'll give the word and you'll rise from the dead. Even as we heard earlier this week about Lazarus. I'm the one that will say your name and you'll rise from the dead. That is an amazing claim. Do you want to be able to face the grim reaper? Do you want to be able to live your life free from fear of even death itself? Then you must be connected to him. He is the bread of life. He gives you everything that you could possibly need. Jesus says of himself, I am the answer to relativism. We live in a cynical, unbelieving age. You have your vision of what's true about uh, spiritual things and what's right and wrong, and I have mine, right? Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. We actually can have some, uh, some, some dependable information about what's beyond what we can measure because we have a representative that descended from those higher realms back down to us. He's, he's the true prophet, but he's not some uncaring prophet. He's a prophet who, who does what? Who acts as a priest, and he says what? I have secured your welfare at what cost? The cost of this, the cost of my own blood. I've laid myself out for you. That's why you can trust me. And every Lord's Day, and this last weekend, as we consider that shedding of the blood of Christ and his glorious resurrection, which seals all that he's done and confirms the benefits that we received in him, it's just reminded us again um, of all the benefits we have in Christ. And what do you have to do then to do the works of God? How do you respond? What does he say at the beginning? What must we do to do the works of God? What must you do? You must sell everything you have and you must go to Bizen Monastery. No. Just reach out. It's, it's by faith. It's by trust in Him. Trust when you first believe. Trust this afternoon as you face your exams. Trust day after day. It's by faith you live and by faith you enjoy your relationship to Christ. Would you stand with me in prayer? Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for your tremendous sacrifice for us. We thank you that you went through the cold river first 
And you took even the judgment of God on your own shoulders that we might go through safely and pass over into glory. And that we might feast on that immortal food on that great last day. Oh Lord, each of us has troubles and setbacks, disappointments and struggles. Struggles with ourselves, with the flesh, the world, the devil. Help us, Lord, as we are discouraged and weary. Oh, help us. Feed us on yourself and sustain us for our duties this day, this week. And whether we have success or whether we have trials, whether we have joys in this world or whether we have tears, we pray that, you would, uh, that we might enjoy you through this life, enjoying peace of conscience, a sense of uh, your fatherly goodness, confirmed to us in Christ and a, and, a, and a full confidence of glory around the corner, even in the face of decline and death. Because, not because we're so good, not because we're obedient, but because of Jesus, Jesus was so good and so obedient and he laid down his life for us. Thank you. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.